Welcome to episode 73 of the Ask Achieve show where we answer all of your burning questions on all things health, fitness, and business. We're your hosts, Lauren and Jason Pack, and we're on a mission to bring inclusivity and positive vibes to the fitness space. Today we'll be discussing foam rolling the IT band, neck and shoulder pain from pull-ups, the most efficient warm-ups, and tips for a new grad wanting to open up their own gym. We hope you're excited. Let's get into the show. Stumblepotamus there. <laughs> well, our fire alarm in our apartment complex went off at in the mm. middle of the night last night. That was pretty brutal. I, I will really say, brutal. at least, so we went to bed at what, like 10.30 or something? Yeah. At least it was at 12, and it wasn't like at like 2, 3 or something like that, where we, were, we had like an hour left to sleep. At least That's we had true, we got like another almost five hours sleep. of sleep. Yeah, yeah. so um, that was the only saving grace, but when we woke up, it was just like, what is happening right now? So upsetting. <laughs> and it's so loud and Diesel like basically pees himself every time that happens. So luckily he didn't, but because we got up pretty quick and got him out the door. Yeah, we basically we just shoot out of bed and then we grab Diesel and literally like like I'm like running down the stairs with him <laughs> just in case he pees on the floor or something like that. Well, because um, one time <laughs> one time when this happened, our the fire alarm in our building went off a lot early on when we moved in because they were doing construction. So it was just like a routine thing. And one time I was the one who was taking diesel out and Jason was kinda like grabbing some things from the apartment. No, I was literally cleaning up pee because oh, he had yeah, peed he on had the pee. floor. Oh, yeah, that's what happened. He had peed on the floor so he was cleaning up pee. And then I texted Jason from the staircase and I was like, emergency, diesel pooped on the floor, <laughs> except I spelled it poopered. <laughs> and he had pooped on the stairwell and I was like, bring a bag. Like, yeah, we were just mode. like oh. uh, like a shame dog owner. It's like the whole hallway stunk of poop and we're like, that's, that's our dog. <laughs> oh God, it was so bad. So luckily we've come up with a system now that He's, he doesn't do that. He doesn't yeah. poop in midair. So for carrying Yeah, that's him, good. Yeah. Yeah, he He's, won't he's been it. a little bit better. But, oh, anyway, yeah. so if we're stumbling on our words a little bit, it's because we're a little tired. We got interrupted in our sleep, which I guess, in you know, it's just good practice. Yeah. It was about two hours of sleep, and then we woke up to, like, very loud noises. And yeah. that's pretty much what our life yeah. is going to be. It was, for, it was just prep. Yeah. For cool. For a little while. Okay. So we got four questions today. And the first one we're going to talk about is, this one was from Jai or something like that. Um, They said, hey guys, I've been reading a lot lately about not foam rolling the IT band. Just wanted to know your opinion about it. Uh, Lauren didn't just like read that weirdly. It actually says capital H-E-E-E-E-Y, guys. (laughs) Yeah, I wanted to make it authentic. (laughs) Hey Hey, guys. (laughs) Um, Yeah, foam rolling the IT band. um, Basically, so, you know, foam rolling the IT band is a very like, common move that people do especially runners because you hear things about like it band syndrome which can affect like knee pain during running and stuff like that and so people will foam roll their it band now research has come out saying that two things one it's going to be really difficult to actually affect the it band because like the name suggests it's just a thick band and there's some sort of research research saying that it can withstand like however many tons of pressure and that a simple foam roller won't be able to do anything in terms of actually affecting it from like a trigger point or whatever not standpoint um, that it might go through. Secondarily, there's also been research saying that foam rolling doesn't actually break apart adhesions or scar tissue or anything of that sort because again, it's too, um, 
like not on the surface yeah basically. just not dense enough of an object and there's not enough pressure like you would have to have like tons and tons of pressure to actually technically break apart an adhesion or scar tissue or even increase mobility um so that's basically what the research has said now here's what we think we think that regardless of whether or not we can affect the IT band because it's so strong, we're not just rolling the IT band when we're rolling on the lateral part of our thigh. There's a lot of other muscles that come into play. There's like the TFL, which is a hip flexor muscle up high. There is the vastus lateralis, which is one of the quad muscles. There's a lot of things going on there. So if you don't quite get the IT band, we're totally okay with it because we're not gonna hurt it either. So it's kind of just one of those things where rolling on for a minute at a time isn't going to do any sort of harm. And we also think it's gonna be beneficial. So there's also research saying that while it doesn't actually break apart scar tissue and like all the like, you know, uh, more like substantial breaking apart of stuff that um, people have said previously, there seems to be some sort of neurological effect where pressing on the muscles with the foam roller seems to send some sort of signal to your brain to relax that area for whatever reason. And it's very short term, it's very temporary, however, the more frequently you do it, and the more the more frequently you do it, and the more consistently you do it, the longer term that effect becomes. And not only that, as long as you combine that with proper mobility work, flexibility work, strength training work, and overall movement patterning, those short-term uh, adaptations can yield to a much long-term greater result as part of a comprehensive plan. So the issue with research is that they just look at one piece of the pie and it just makes it so that it's it's just not like realistic. And not only that, it's just for like, they measure it in like five or 10 people that are totally untrained. It's just, just not realistic situations that happen. And so for us, we get a lot more benefit out of, yes, kind of making sure that the research is generally in line with what we do, but we also take into account a lot anecdotal evidence. So we just have so much just pure like, evidence from our gym standpoint that when people foam roll consistently and then they do a proper movement and strength training regimen and mobility regimen consistently, they end up moving a lot better and they end up getting range of motion a lot better. So that's what we take into account a lot more than what a simple research study says. Yeah, and typically with research studies, they're out to prove something. So you have to always mm. keep that in mind too. Like they were, this particular study was probably out to prove that foam rolling your IT band didn't actually change your IT band. Mm -hmm. So they're gonna they're gonna make sure that that's what they prove. <laughs> yeah. And I mean that's not like research is great, and we agree with like we think there should be more research out there about fitness and health. Um, but in this case, I think what happened is people started people called foam rolling self myofascial release. That was like the big yeah. you know term that everybody used. It's like oh it's self myofascial release, and then that got all the massage therapists and PTs out there like. What, what the heck, you can't actually do that on your own. You need somebody to do deep tissue work in order to actually do myofascial, quote unquote, myofascial release. And so then there was this big swing the other direction of how to disprove that foam rolling is self myofascial release. <laughs> and that's fine, they can disprove that and we, should, we shouldn't call it that because that isn't really what it is, but it doesn't mean that foam rolling is now bad for you yeah. or that you shouldn't do it. It just means that it wasn't necessarily doing what we originally might've thought it was doing. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not always so black and white. It's not, not always just like, okay, it's not good, so it's bad. Yeah. It's like, it might not be serving this purpose, but it's actually serving these other purposes that seem to still be doing, doing good and no, not doing harm. Yeah. So why stop? There's also, um, there's just a lot of like sensationalist headlines that research, or at least news publications will pull from the research yeah. and then make yeah. the headlines be this drastic thing. 
like recently there was something about protein powders and how they cause cancer. Um, there's like substances like toxic metals and stuff like that. And then what they realized was that they also tracked that same substance in like broccoli and bananas <laughs> and like like quote unquote and healthy everything. stuff. And yeah. it was like, oh, like it's actually just kind of present everywhere just because of the way we you know produce food at this point. Um, and so, but they take that and make it seem like protein powder is just like, it'll kill you basically. Yeah. Um, so just always looking at research from just more of like a stepping back and making sure that it actually makes sense or is it just to cause some headlines and create this adverse reaction to that thing. So yeah, yeah. cool. Hopefully that clears some things up. Next question is from EclipseFC underscore Boyle. And they asked, or they commented, did some pull-ups the other day, and now the left side of my neck down into the upper left side of my shoulder is sore slash tight. Any suggestions to help and to clean up for my next pull-up session? Um, so, yeah, this, this can be really common with pull-ups, especially mm -hmm. if you're, like, just starting out doing them or, or they're, I mean, even with people who have been doing them for a long time, yeah, this can be really definitely. common. Um, and there are a few reasons why we typically see a reaction like this kind of happen. So one of the reasons is people tend to rush the very beginning, the start of a pull-up. So when they're hanging from the bar, we see this all the time where people, they just, they're only thinking about the goal of getting their chin over the bar. So they yeah. think about speed right from the beginning and they kind of yank on the bar. And when they do that yanking motion, it really puts a lot of, it, it aggravates your shoulders basically. Yeah. Um, it's It causes a lot of stress to the shoulder joint and then the next day you may feel some shoulder and some neck discomfort. Um, so what we recommend instead is to practice, maybe with a band or maybe with some assistance, but practice actually going a little bit slower from the bottom, especially when you're first building up to pull-ups. Definitely when you've gotten to the point where you can do five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 pull-ups, then working on speed is probably gonna be beneficial because you're gonna be able to do more reps if you go faster and, mm -hmm. and speed can be, can be a great asset if you have control of the movement first. But what happens is people try to use speed to mask the fact that they don't actually own that that portion of the exercise. Yeah, it's very similar to deadlifting. When people try to rush the pull off the floor, either their hips will shoot up or they'll bend their elbows and basically lose alignment. And if you think about, think about like, you're trying to push a car as quickly as possible from zero to 60. You wanna just slam on the accelerator you would ease into it. So you kind of want to think about it in the same way. You will get to that point eventually, but being just a little bit more patient. We, we, we cue patience a lot yeah. when pulling off the floor with the deadlift or pulling up during a pull-up. It's not going to slow you down, just be a little bit more patient. Yeah, cool. exactly. Patience is definitely a better word than slow. Yeah. So yeah. don't think about going slow, think about being patient in the beginning. And then as, you're, as you've passed through that kind of hard part for you, then you mm -hmm. can add a little bit more speed from yeah. the top. Um, another thing we see is like the little shoulder shimmy thing, mm -hmm. which could definitely happen. <laughs> so a lot of times people will, um, when they're starting to get tired at the end of a set, they'll start to just kind of favor their stronger arm. And so they'll kind of like shrug up one shoulder at a time. Mm -hmm. um, that's obviously going to put some tension into your neck. Yep. So just take a look at that and make sure that you're not shrugging either one or both shoulders as you do the pull-up. Um, and then... I mean, those are the two main causes, Those I would are the two say. main causes, yeah. And then some ways that you can try to avoid that in the future. One is to think about 
pulling the bar down toward your toward you instead of pulling yourself up toward the bar. Mm. And it's just a change in mindset, but it does kind of change how you go about approaching the exercise. So I like to tell people to think about driving their elbows down toward the floor and, and pulling the bar down toward their chest. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to keep your shoulders down a little bit more. It's going to keep your shoulders and your neck a little more a neck a little more relaxed and you'll use your upper back a little bit more just naturally yeah and same thing goes for um, deadlifting again i'll use this as an example instead of thinking about pulling the barbell up towards you we tell people to push the floor away from them and what happens when people think about pulling the bar up they overuse their arms or they overuse their lower back Whereas if you think about pushing the floor away from you, that automatically signals to you that you should use your legs a little bit more um, without us actually saying like, use your legs a little bit more because that's yeah. tough to understand. So pushing the floor away um, really helps to give at least some mental imagery of how to actually accomplish it. Yeah. And one last thing you can think about is keeping your eyes looking straight ahead when you're doing pull-ups. A lot mm-hmm. of people put, uh, they kind of throw their head back and look up at the bar and that can actually cause you to to lean farther away from the bar and the further away you are from the bar the just more less efficient the pull-up is and so it can make it a little bit harder and you might kind of tweak your neck a little bit if you're looking up so just keep your head neutral keep yourself as close in toward the bar as you can that's going to make it more efficient a little bit easier and you'll be less likely to go to some of those like shoulder shimmy type strategies tactics yeah so cool cool awesome um and then third one is from Emily Lay 76 <laughs> um, said, hello, Emily from the UK. Only having an hour to work out, what are the best quick warm-ups slash stretches for before and after working out? Many thanks. Um, yeah, I've been doing some quicker warm-ups just because of a time standpoint. I imagine that we'll probably um, be doing even more of that <laughs> as we get along here. Um, you know, some exercises that we really like, one that we post um, relatively frequently is a Spider-Man complex, right? Yeah. Um, and so basically what would happen, this is kind of a lot to explain, but basically if you know what a Spider-Man lunge is, it's you get into a push-up position, a tall plank position, and you bring, let's say your right leg all the way forward as close to your right hand as possible. And that gives just a really good hip flexor stretch, just opens up, up, opens up your hips. And then from there, you get your right arm and reach it up towards the ceiling. And that leads to a really good T-spine, upper back and shoulder stretch. And then from there, we place that right hand back down on the outside of that right foot. So now your hands are basically straddling that foot and you pull your hips back and try to straighten out that right leg and you have to get a a hamstring stretch. After that hamstring stretch, we actually then push ourselves forward into a knee hug posture where that right leg is the stance leg and straight and you tuck your left knee in towards your chest in an upright posture. And that leads to, again, a good hip flexor stretch and also just good alignment overall. And then after that, we go into a single leg deadlift with a reach um, and then stride forward again, but this time with the left side and repeat. So it's this whole Spider-Man complex that we like to do, um, especially like if we're out like about to play football or about to play tennis or whatever sport that we want to do. Uh, we don't have that much equipment and we just want to do one catch-all move. That pretty much covers almost all of your bases all in one stretch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, definitely. That's definitely our go-to and that's definitely my go-to these days if I'm trying to get something quick in. Um, if you want to think about like where to, what the most important like places are to stretch or Mm -hmm. things are to stretch, like we usually just from, from a general standpoint from the general everyday person, usually people need a little bit more mobility through their hips, through their upper back, their T-spine, through their ankles and through like, like ankles and calves. Yeah. Um, 
And their uh, shoulders. And their shoulders, yeah. yeah. I was like, there's one more I <laughs> um, So trying to mobilize those four areas. In that Spider-Man complex, you do all of that. So that's kind of why we like to do it all together. And that's just one move. But if you have a little more time, you can do a specific hip flexor stretch, then a specific ankle mobilization drill, mm -hmm. a specific T-spine drill, and then a shoulder mobility drill. Yeah. Um, on top of the mobility stuff, we also like to add some activation exercises in there as well. Mm -hmm. So we'll do some like glute bridges, um, some like mini band walks or some clamshells just to kind of get some things firing as well. Um, that just helps to prepare, prepare you for the workout that's coming up. So we usually do mobility first, then we do a little like movement prep um, and, and activation like that. Yeah. Um, and then lastly, what you can do is uh, if you're really strapped for time, just understand what your main lift is for that day. So your main priority might be a squat, in which case you might spend a little bit more time on the lower body and not neglect, but just kind of um, go through some quicker stuff for the upper body. And the next time when you go around, your next day is let's say pull-ups or bench press and you might incorporate some more upper body focused warm-ups so it doesn't have to be such a full comprehensive warm-up every single time it's more just to prepare you for what's upcoming ahead from a load standpoint yeah definitely cool. yeah so if you're going to be going out and playing like a game like tennis or something like that like make sure that you do a little bit of jogging and a little bit of yeah like that kind of that's a different type of warm-up and a different type of activity but if you're going to go out and do something that's sprinting and cutting make sure that you actually jog first before you just like go right into sprinting yeah um make sure you do some like some hops and like get the ankles prepared and the calves prepared things like that so it does really depend on the activity that you're going to be doing and trying to think about what is that activity what's the m biggest demand that that activity is going to ask of your body mm -hmm. and how can you warm up that part of your body sufficiently before going into it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. Um, and then the last question, this one is from Cabes14. And she said, Hi, Lauren and Jason. Huge fan of your podcast. Was recommended to listen to it by one of my college professors. I'm actually about to graduate with an exercise science degree from the University of, Louis of Louisville and was curious if you had any advice on first steps to take when wanting to open up your own gym. Also, any advice on getting certifications like the CSCS and ACSM, et cetera. Thank you so much for the help, info, and inspiration. Awesome. Thank you for the support. Um, big thing here is to, if you're looking to open up a gym, we'd really recommend at least five years of actual coaching experience in the industry first. Because mm -hmm. it's, I mean, opening up a business is just a big undertaking, not only financially, but from a time standpoint, life standpoint, and everything standpoint. So you really want to make sure that you have a lot of experience in the field just to make sure that you are aware that you want to be in this for the long haul. So just spending some time there. And then secondarily, some other side benefits are just getting in the trenches experience. And then thirdly, you also are able to develop a clientele in that area. And then hopefully you can translate that to you know, paying members when you decide to actually open up the gym. But I think it's um, it's not a great idea to open up a gym and go through that sort of um, rabbit hole without first establishing, uh, you know, at least some education and some experience in the field first. Yeah, when you open up your own gym, you're going to need to be a leader in that facility and you're going to need employees that look up to you and respect you as a professional both in the field that you're in and as a business owner mm -hmm. and if you don't have a lot of the experience that a lot of the coaches that you might hire have it's going to be really hard for them to 
have that respect for you as a trainer. Yeah. Um, and when you're just coming out of college, you definitely have a lot of knowledge in terms of, especially being an exercise physiology major, like in terms of the science of, of exercise and understanding kind of the, you know, the books side of things, technical but to not have the technical thingy, that's sort of, <laughs> um, but to not have the experience with working with actual people is it's definitely going to be difficult to then be able to translate that into creating a system for a gym of your own. Yeah. Um, you really need to, to have that. And, and nobody can really tell you what that's like. You just yeah. have to experience it on your own. Yeah. And we could sit here and say like, this is the best business model and this would be the best way to run things. But we only came to those conclusions because of the experiences that we personally had. Mm-hmm. Um, and those experiences might be different for you. You may actually go out there and see a different problem in the industry that you want to solve with opening your own gym. For us, it was the environment of gyms out there was just not welcoming enough, not supportive enough, not inclusive enough. And that was the the problem that we wanted to solve and the yeah. reason we wanted to open our own business. But if you don't have a strong mission, if it's just like, I want to be a trainer and I feel like I should just open my own gym, yeah. it's not really going to be strong enough for you to keep pushing through, like Jason was saying, all of those really difficult times in the beginning where running a business is every aspect of your life in those first few years. Yeah, and you know, I think I think a lot of trainers go to this um, where they think that the next step beyond being a coach is to jump right into a gym owner. And, Mm. you know, it's just most people don't have a strong enough mission to create a business or a gym to warrant that. Um, Whereas in other professions, there's always like other stuff that you can do. But for coaches, it's a little bit less, um, I guess, there's less clear career options. And that's something that we're trying to do at Achieve. We're trying to create other opportunities for our coaches to, first of all, just like have, have a living, like continue to financially um, be in a better situation from the year before by creating more and more uh, work opportunities, whether that's you know becoming a head program designer, whether it's becoming a fitness director, whether it's being involved in sales. We want to create different avenues for our coaches to make sure that they continue to find more and more opportunities. Because people, yeah, they just get stuck where after a couple of years, they're like, okay, what's the next step? And it seems like the, the logical step seems to be opening up an own gym. But it's just a lot to go from coach to suddenly a business owner. Because as a business owner, you, you, your time actually coaching is going to be significantly less than dealing with business stuff. Like yeah. um, dealing with the admin side of things, dealing with marketing, operations, and systems development, dealing with all the finances for everyone involved in the business. I mean, like literally like the last um, three out of six Mondays, I've been dealing with toilet issues, like plumbing issues. Like that's not the reason why I got into the field in the first place. (laughs) However, it's because we have such a strong vision with the business that keeps me sane during these sorts of like trying times. Um, So yeah, there's just a lot that goes into business ownership and uh, definitely don't want you to think that that's a logical next step, but just get some experience within the industry first and then if you feel like, okay, you know, there is a void in terms of X, Y, and Z, and I want to fulfill that void by creating a business, then I think you're much better set up. Yeah, yeah. totally. Um, in terms of actually getting a ACSM or CSCS, um, I mean, it's just really all about just going out and just doing it. Yeah, I mean, there's, and I don't know if she was asking like which one's better or just said any advice on getting certifications like them. So CSCS is going to be better if you're looking to work in like a collegiate strength and conditioning setting. Yeah. Um, if that's kind of the route you want to go, that's going to be a little bit more intensive. Um, you need a degree in order to get that, which is 
uh, not true for the rest of the certifications I think yeah. out there. So if you're going for the public sector and training uh, athletes of some sort in some sort of university or high school or that sort of setting, then yeah, you're going to need a CSCS. For any other setting, we just recommend whatever CPT that you want because that's just going to be your entry level thing. And then hopefully you can go on to pursue other more specialized certifications. And we've talked about this before, like functional movement systems, FMS, strong first, precision nutrition, USA weightlifting. Um, these are all some more specialized certifications that'll just set you apart from other coaches. Um, but yeah, just from a baseline standpoint, just get any CPT any if you're CPT. working with general population. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, I think those are all the answers to your burning questions for today. Thank you so much for your submitting those questions. And if you have any questions for us, please DM us at Achieve Fitness Boston on Instagram. We would love to answer any anything that you have about health, fitness, or business. If you wouldn't mind leaving us a review on iTunes, we'd be super, super grateful. And until next time, peace, love, and, and muscles. muscles.